Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball. Kevin Flynn here alongside Grail Hallett and soccer journalist Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, we catch up with our good buddy Mike Noonan. He's a head coach of the Clemson Tigers, their soccer program there, a program that it makes a that makes a perennial run at the national title as well as putting an abundance of players into the professional ranks, MLS and beyond. So a lot to talk about with Mike uh, domestically, internationally, collegiately, the split season, the nightmare of recruiting right now. Uh, so it'll be great to get caught up with uh, noons. But first, guys, uh, happy 4th of July weekend, first of all, as we get started. Yes. But uh, what are you guys over this week on Over the Ball? Noons? Uh, are you over noons? <laughs> <laughs> Grail, why don't you go first? What are you over? Uh, I I am over over analyzing games played in empty stadiums. There's been a lot of stuff written about it. Uh, yeah. It is fat. I, I will say some of it's very fascinating, but I'm just willing to say it's just different. It's different. But what what irks you the most about that? Um, it, it's just again, I think it's um, trying to find information that uh you know that that somehow you know takes away from the actual play on the field i guess and i'm I'm just like of the mindset of yes i I would rather have this and i would rather have that but i think i think also with like four three or four games into this new restart you're starting to see play return to the level it was was at before so again you know, if if people want to do it, I'm just not terribly interested in every little factoid about what is different All right. and, why, well, and how it's affecting things. That's you, it. You seem, you seem, it seems like a little watered down angst, but I will say this. Uh, one thing that I loved about soccer was that it wasn't so stats driven. You know, I used, yeah. to, I used to drive me crazy about baseball. I'm not a numbers guy myself. And I used to, they would talk, you know, you hear talk radio and I know you're a baseball guy, girl, but it's sort of like, oh, my God, you know, just the stats. And one yeah. thing that, that America brought to soccer was the stats. But some of the stats have really, you know, it's uh, shed new light on things. Like like when you're in the red zone and how many times the guys, you know, where mm-hmm. they are positionally on a field. Yeah. And it does just start to describe things. So uh, I think what happens is if there aren't enough games being played, people just run out of stuff to talk about. So they just start talking about these inane, you know, pieces of the game. And it's all conjecture. Uh, so Sam, what are you what are you over? Well, first of all, on, on that, I find it very interesting. Um, uh, Alejandro Gomez, who plays for Atalanta, set a record with his fifteenth assist, I believe, um, yesterday for this season, and that is the most since they started counting in two thousand four, uh, which I thought was amazing. Really, uh, considering that you know <laughs> the assist is pretty important in soccer. Yeah. So that shows you how non-stats driven uh, you know soccer was before the kind of recent revolution. Um, But what I'm over this week are uh, clubs rolling out their new uniforms for next season before this one is even over. Mm, Um, To me, this is uh, too representative of, you know, soccer in general these days where, you know, teams never stay the same year to year. Uh, There's so much movement going on and, you know, I get it. You want to make money. You want to roll out a new cool Jersey every year, but um, I don't know. To me, it's just, it's a bit much. And I find it interesting that, you would think this would be an American phenomenon, you know, this sort of capitalizing on every possible thing we can. And yet, yeah, the extra jersey. you know, the Boston Red Sox jersey uh, I got when I was 10 is still yeah. the same one they're wearing today. Um, so, yeah. I don't know, kind of interesting. Absolutely. It's all about so, money, Sam. It's all about money. Yeah, follow the money as I mean, Sam. You'd think as Americans, we'd yeah. be all over. Well, exactly, because I think the Chicago Bulls were the first team that did the additional jersey, and they did the additional jersey to just make more money. Yeah. I mean, that's it's, well, Look, they paid for Beckham uh, just on jersey sales alone, I think. So yeah. that's why it, it does make uh, – but I have an interesting comment there. You, you sounded a little bit like Sam, get off my lawn <laughs> – Chris Walt. But, yeah, but, Clint, but, but, Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. But Grail's all about follow the money. That's his business. So, uh, so I, I tell you what, I'm over, guys. I'm over Florida. I've had enough. I think we just cut the state off. <laughs> nice. Just like it's, an appendage. Just, just, just cut whole, it off like a limb, a dead limb, and let it float into the sea. It's like a like the. It looks like a penis anyway. Just cut it <laughs> off. Send it out to sea. And uh, man, Florida is always causing problems, and now it's screwing with soccer because. Uh, they're all down there in their bubble, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I, yeah. I want to, uh, I want to talk about collegiate soccer first. Uh, this will really ring uh, 
come to home with you guys, which is uh, Division Three schools canceling fall season sports. More Amherst, which is one of your uh, teams you played, uh, Grail and Sam at Wesleyan and, and Middlebury. So, uh, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on that? Also, Division Three in Southern California, it's going to restrict yeah. play. I mean, I just I, I, I'm I'm concerned. Obviously, I just think you know NESCAC that uh, which Bowden and Amherst and Williams are in is a small conference and. You know, is is the domino effect going to happen? So, um, but uh, I, let me ask you this though: yeah. uh, something like that, a, a small Division three school in the Northeast. Do you think they look at uh, soccer is cheaper to produce? More people are playing it now. Do you think that it's really a, about American football teams being cut and not coming back at such a high expense? I mean, they're, remember, they're cutting all the sports, so it is mm-hmm. e- equitable from that standpoint. I think it's really about students first, honestly. I think it's more yeah. about we're, we're, an af- we're an academic institution and we want to create a, a safe environment. So we want to just make sure that we don't have some other thing that could go wrong in the fall. I don't mean this, this season. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean going ahead. Like if you know, some of these uh, you know, people we've talked to on this show have said maybe soccer doesn't come back to some of these uh, schools and I don't think that that would be smart. I don't know what you think, Sam. I think that you know, like a Middlebury, I think it's safe. Uh, again, it, it just doesn't require a yeah. huge outlay. I think I think in NESCAC these schools are pretty safe. I mean, you yeah. know, I think Bowdoin, which was the first school to cancel yeah. all fall sports, I think they've canceled all sports actually. I mean, they're only yeah. planning to have a quarter of their kids on campus. I mean, so right. it's impossible. I mean, I think it's a logistical issue more than anything. Um, you know, the conferences that are still going ahead, like you mentioned, Southern California and Michigan intercollegiate Conf- uh, association they're doing just a kind of conference schedule so there's not much traveling involved yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah i don't know i think it's going to be really tough for anybody. you know i, I talked just, to going. go ahead I, I talked to the coach at uh, wesleyan and they're going to try to quarantine the kids you know on the campus so they're trying to limit the numbers and so yeah i think sports are a secondary consideration uh, at this point and you know now look you talk about college that's that's one thing and and we cover that here on on this show but uh, also look what the you know covid's doing worldwide but also domestically here with mls that seems to be just which which comes back to my florida note you know they're all yeah. down there in the bullia base of covid in florida yeah. and um I don't know if that tournament's going to come off. What was it? Right. Six players well, from Dallas and three uh, support staff were tested positive. So, yeah. well, they're ta- just getting back to D three for a minute. They're talking about you know uh, redshirting players, and in some right. cases, players maybe also taking the spring off and essentially doing a gap year. So essentially, just wiping this year clean and coming back in 2020, I guess that would be what, 2021, 22? Yeah, I, yeah. I kind of agree with that because I almost felt yeah. like with uh, professionally just right off the year and we've really tried to force these sports to come back at great expense. Uh, now, honestly, you know, look so far EPL and Bundesliga have been somewhat successful in their comebacks, uh, but just it seems like MLS, it's always the, the, you know, the deck is stacked against you anyway and and now it's becoming even more difficult. And for all places to go to Florida, where it's now it's spiking, and you know um, a lot of uh, what I think in addition twenty players, and uh, you know there's been a lot of players so that have uh, tested positive for COVID. And my first. nickname for it, Flinty, is Trouble in the Bubble, because of course they're calling Orlando the bubble, and and you've got uh, you know six FC Dallas players testing positive on top of another 20 players so it's going to be in i mean and the nba is going to be facing the same thing trouble in the bubble that yeah. sounds like muhammad ali fighting in a tennis uh, indoor <laughs> <Exactly>. tennis rink <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there yeah so the nba is going to be going down there i think at the end of july so it's it's interesting i mean the uh, by the way wait a minute nba is known for spreading covid so we'll see yeah. what happens no, I mean, it just showed, I mean, the Bundesliga pulled it off, I think, just because Germany as a country just did a much better job. There's no great surprise that the leagues and the countries that seem to be doing okay are the countries that did a better job. Right, 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 right. right. And we've done the worst job. So yes. um, there, there, we, there we go. And uh, That's a yeah. separate show altogether. So you think about even the NWSL, which I, I know, Grail, you watched one of the games. Um, God bless you. Um, <laughs> that uh, that a bunch of their players have had it as well. So you're, you know, this is this is going to grow. I mean, even the NBA is going down there. All those professional athletes down there. So what do you think, um, Sam? Do you think they'll play the tournament? It's the July uh, 8th tourney? I don't know. I mean, I, I 
just read yesterday that uh, Carlos Vela is likely going to opt out. Um, his wife is quite pregnant right now. Uh, yeah. and wants to be with her for the birth, understandably. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. And no family is allowed uh, on the grounds at Walt Disney World Resort. So um, right. if he's the first opt out, I believe he would be. Um, you have to wonder who's going to follow. I mean, we've already seen you know MLB players opting out of that season. Um, yeah, so it makes you wonder. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, but it, that's where I'm saying they're trying to force the issue. It seems a little bit, but uh, like I guess you have no choice. You have no choice in a way. Um, MLS will not play the national anthem now before the game. What are your thoughts on that, guys? I love it. You know, I, yeah. I just, I just think it takes, you know, it, it basically takes that whole element out of the equation, and uh, you know, you can have people just saying, "Oh my God, you're not playing the national anthem," but I mean, th that's it. Like at the NWSL the kickoff game on June 27th, every player, I think, except one players, starters and reserves all knelt for the national anthem and they all wore black lives matter t-shirts. So now it's the one woman who didn't kneel. Who's yeah, probably so going to be the focus. The it's a reverse Rapino. Yeah. She's supporting the troops and then, and then, and then. So actually, am I, but I would kneel. No, I, hey, I'm with you. But then coming out of that too, now the new protocol after the first few matches is that they're going to get, they're going to play the anthem. The players have the option to come out onto the pitch for the anthem or stay in the locker room. So yeah, but again, I just think this whole thing is going, you know, uh, it's been <laughs> politicized. Be Everything's been yeah. politicized. Even wearing a mask is politicized now. So, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, what was the tradition was, didn't it start like post world war two, maybe world war one and then world what? war two. And it was a way to, you know, uh, up patriotism and you know it all, by the way back then it all made sense i just think it, it, it's time has come and gone and it's just become more of a distraction than anything and, and again around the world they don't play the national anthem before games they do before international games but besides that they don't play them before league games i i, I don't believe anywhere else in the world so maybe right. in dictatorships they might, but well, that's probably why. <laughs> probably why we're doing it here right now. There, you go. there, there it is. So, um, so, but Grail, you watched in the BSL game. What were your I thoughts? Did. Uh, I, th I thought again. I just watched the first game, so I'm sure it's gotten better. I thought the play itself was just bad. It was, you know, it, it was, touch was bad, decision making was bad, um, lots of missed kicks. I, th I, I just thought the commentary was just terrible, and this the, the play by play woman is uh, named Jen Hildreth. I'd never really heard her, but she, apparently she's done a lot of NWSL games. Mm -hmm. And she played in college at Emory, which is surprising because her commentary to me showed no knowledge of the sport. Because wow. again, you know, what I call it is the, she suffers from ASCS, which is American Soccer Commentator Syndrome. I made that up. Wow, you just made that. You that and yeah. trouble in the bubble. He's on yeah, fire, exactly. Sam. <laughs> well, it's the, it's the Gus Johnson thing of just like yelling excitedly at points where it's not even really appropriate to do so. Right. And, uh, you know, and Allie Wagner as the color person was fine. But I just, you know, I thought the broadcast was just kind of, you know, low end. You know, a couple cameras. And this like is you CBS, done, right? Yeah, CBS. This, yeah college type cameras that you would expect for the, maybe the ACC network. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, one center camera, maybe one field camera um, just, it just felt kind of low budget. And I just didn't think that, I, I think they deserve better. That's my point is my point is if the women's game need, you know, wants to be comparable, the networks need to make it that way. And also the commentary needs to be better and the production value needs to be better. Wow, okay, Sam, so I think you just, uh, I think Grail just took over the get off my lawn uh, award <laughs> for, this, for this week. Uh, by the way, uh, this is, I'm, I'm being a champion for women's soccer here. Right, I right. Think, I think you need to surround it with better quality in the booth and with cameras and all that stuff. Just yeah, production yeah. value. I think this goes back to what we were talking a little bit about last week is this idea that, you know, America, you know, in America, we think soccer is boring and we need to mm -hmm. make it exciting. And I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like the three of us would rather watch a very professional production team that wasn't worried about that kind of thing. But I think the reality is in this country, not many people watch soccer. So you yeah, do right. have to try to cater to them. Um, At least not so nationally. I'm, I'm so with you, Sam. It, it, you're exactly but, but right. But there, there, there has to be a balance. But creating excitement, you know, in the booth that 
isn't really represented on the field is is just fake. It's yeah, like, no, why, why are you getting so agitated? Yeah. And the um, you know the and the other thing that I I would just say is if you want to be considered an equal sport, which I think they should be, um, you should be cr critical when it, it applies. And there were, there were points in the game where just bad plays were made mm -hmm. and there was, they were kind of apologetic. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't do that. Well, look, I, I think the, the biggest note is that when you watch an EPL game, the game is sold. We're sold on it and they just present it. And I think what happens when you're here in the States, when we, because we used to do this in MLS and we still do it to a certain extent uh, where you're selling the game yeah. mm -hmm. as a journalist and mm -hmm. you're not critical because you're friends with half of them and you played with half. Right. Of them. So I think it's that transition from uh, what is it from warrior to philosopher where you're basically coming out as a player. And now you're moving into the journalism world and they don't make that tradition uh, tr uh, transition very easy. Plus, you know, they don't get their ups. You know, it's, uh, it's repetition. You see, mm -hmm. and, and your other comment, Grail, the, uh, about the play, the level of play, I am always sort of let down by the level of play, even on the national team level, uh, especially with women. But I wonder if that's because we're watching EPL. So if I watch an EPL yeah. game, then I watch an MLS game. I'm like, ah, the, the quality is not there like it is in the EPL or Syria. Ah. Yeah. So maybe we're, we're judging the women's game on basically EPL standards. Yeah, but again, I want to judge it equally. I mean, I, I, again, I just want to be honest in my judgment because I want women to be taken just as seriously as the men's game. And I, so I think you have to be critical when, when you're watching stuff and a player's making a boneheaded play, you can't say, Oh, that was unlucky. I mean, right, no, right, right. it wasn't, it was a terrible play. What do you, <laughs> it wasn't unlucky. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've, I've a feeling like, like I said, I think they're just trying to boost up the game. And so they're not yeah. reporting on it, honestly, because if you, yeah. You, you, you don't want to actually acknowledge the nightmare that's in front of you. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, you know, and I tell you, you know, international soccer, this is what we have to, you know, we're talking about after the World Cup. If you want to support the women's game, go to these games. Go to the, um, you know, the NWSL games and watch them on television because that's the only way to make sure the quality gets better in all respects. Yeah. So um, speaking of Americans and American soccer, uh, you know, we kind of haven't heard much for Josh Sargent over there uh, in the Bundesliga, but uh, Sam, he uh, celebrated a, a big goal, gave him goosebumps. Apparently you, you had a problem with this old man. Well, no. <laughs> so uh, the Bundesliga ended this past weekend um, and Josh Sargent did have a goal in the six, one Werder Bremen win over Cologne, which meant that uh, for the time being, they were not relegated. Um, they're now playing in this two leg playoff with Heidenheim. Uh, the first leg of which was yesterday and ended 0-0. But, um, yeah, Sargent said apparently he had goosebumps after scoring, despite the fact it was the sixth goal in the 6-1 win. Um, you know, I'm all for it, but uh, I don't know. I, I I was more excited when I clicked on the link uh, than I was uh, after reading the story. So I think I might start a new segment about, you know, the most worthless headline out there every week. Uh, Which will fit right into your mood this week. Yeah, this is a contender <laughs> for this week for sure. But um, yeah. also, with, with Werder Bremen staying up, it meant that Dusseldorf were relegated, which is where Zach Steffen was playing on loan yeah. City this year, and also Alfredo Morales. Um, so Zach Steffen's already left the club. Don't know what's going to happen to Morales. And see what happens with Sargent if they stay up or they go down. Yeah. And, and, and Bayern, Bayern put an emphatic end on the season with a 4-0 thumping. And you look at what they accomplished this year, guys. And uh, I would put it up against Liverpool, honestly. I mean, in terms of the number of goals they scored, the scoring records that were broken by uh, Lewandowski, Thomas Muller's uh, assists. Assist uh, record. That's, that's huge. 31 assists. That's, and, and Lewandowski, why isn't he not uh, in contention for the Bell? No, I, I think he may win it. I really do. Really? Well, he's in he, contention. I don't know oh, yeah, if he's a yeah. front runner, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it seems like it's Messi and Ronaldo again. It's it's uh, yeah. it's amazing. I mean, you talked about this last week, Sam, about you know how amazing this guy's output is. I mean, he's pure goal scorer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the only thing I'll say, Grail, is you know Bayern. I don't think have a rival on the level of Man City. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's totally Liverpool fair. To uh, to Bayern, but yeah, absolutely mm -hmm. impressive. Speaking of which, and uh, that game yesterday, man, Liverpool got schooled a little bit. Uh, well, not to, you, kind of to be expected, right? Yeah, you know the, the combination of the letdown, and I just I thought City has so much pride. Pep has so much pride, 
there was no way they weren't going to make an emphatic statement. And again, you're like, Liverpool doesn't care. Yeah, they don't to a certain extent, but it was an embarrassment. They got crushed. It could have been eight nil. I mean, I got to be honest. Yeah, with yeah. You. I mean, I mean, actually, Liverpool had chances, but uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was kind of a statement game, I think, by City. Not that Liverpool really cares because they won the league, but. Uh, Oh, but it was funny to watch some of the social media. Like, oh, they were overrated all season. I'm like, no, oh, give me a break. You know, it was no. good. Just... Although, uh, although Klopp was irritated. At the, it was weird. It was the first time I've seen Klopp irritable in a post-match interview. He was kind of going at it with the uh, interviewer who was baiting him a little bit with some questions about, you know, commitment from the players and things like that. But, give me uh, a break. Yeah. In, in this weird, weird season. So, uh, we'll, we'll, yeah. well, let's get back to EPL a little bit. Let's, get, let's do Syria. Ah. Um, What's happening there, Sam? Uh, yeah, so as of right now, Juve are still four points ahead uh, over Lazio with nine matches to go. Um, Lazio will have a chance to close that gap when they play on July 20th up in Turin against Juventus. Um, sort of interesting subplot to this story is the, the goal scorer race. Um, Ciro Immobile has 29 goals right now, plays for Lazio, and uh, Ronaldo has 24, so they'll be sort of battling that out. How many games um, left? Nine games. Nine games left? Could happen. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, I was going to say there's a good game this weekend, which is Napoli Dome on Sunday, which was, you know, sort of to decide who's going to give Atalanta a run for fourth place. But after the games yesterday, Atalanta are now 12 points ahead uh, in fourth place, which is very impressive. Uh, so that seems to kind of all be locked up, too, at this point. Is that your game of the week, Sam? Yeah, probably, although it's lost some of its luster, unfortunately. Um, right. I will say one other piece of news that uh, was kind of surprised me and I think is big for the league in general is that um, Akraf Hakimi, the Real Madrid player who's been on loan at Dortmund the last two seasons, yeah. uh, was signed by Inter uh, for 40 million euro, which, um, yeah, really surprised me. I mean, Bayern and Man City were supposed to have been interested. I think it's a great signing considering he's exactly the kind of player he need, they need. And, um, you know, it's been one of the most entertaining players to watch for me the last couple of years. So. Okay, and then we, then we mentioned the Liverpool-Man City game. Yeah, uh, I do want to mention one quick thing about Jose Mourinho because we always love going into his twisted mind. Especially so you. Especially no, you so, love no, no, so Spurs, Spurs had a penalty reversed because um, one of their players ended up falling on the ball and handling it, and then Kane scored, but it was nullified. So after the match, um, Mourinho's quote was, the ref on the pitch is not the referee. He said, the referee is the person in the office in St. James Park. He goes, that person out there, he is not the ref. So he's basically saying that they're just robots, basically wandering around the But when it comes to that and a replay, you know, I mean, he's not. He's just asking for help. VAR got it right. So I don't even know what his his argument is because the guy handled it. The ball changed directions, went onto Kane's foot, Kane scored. So it shouldn't have been a goal. And he is saying there is no. He goes, there is no referee on the pitch. There is we, that person is not a referee. It's funny. I I kind of thought it shouldn't have been a handball because he was he had fallen on the ground and but we we don't have time. I mean, it's yeah. like you know every game seems to be having one of these these uh, calls. But I tell you, Man City, great team, and it I think yeah. that's even more impressive for Liverpool because they they made such a distance uh, oh, in yeah. numbers with uh, with Liverpool. So um, they deserved it. All right, guys, let's take a break here. We'll come back with head coach Mike Nuno of the Clemson Tigers. Remember out there, everybody, to follow us and like us on Facebook at Over the Ball and follow us on Twitter as well at Over the Ball. You're listening to OTB. We'll be back right after this. Joining us now, an old friend. Uh, well, it's not that he's old, but he's an old friend of Over the Ball. Uh, he's the head coach of the Clemson Tigers. Uh, what a year uh, you guys have had over there, Coach Noonan. Uh, you had a Herman Trophy winner with Robbie Ro- uh, Robinson. I would say Robbie Robertson all the time, the, the lead guitarist <laughs> for the band. But uh, Robbie Robinson won the Herman Trophy. Uh, you were the ACC champs, quarterfinalists in the NCAA attorney. Uh, you put a whole bunch of players in MLS and beyond uh, a good year. So what's happening at Clemson with this weird, you know, COVID recruiting year and, and everything you're going through. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty plenty and, and obviously it's a dead period. They keep extending the dead period. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's now extended to August 31st. So 
all we can really do is this video call, voice call uh, recruits. It's been really positive. Uh, you know, I think the Clemson brand is really strong uh, mm -hmm. and our success over the years is, is helped. But there's, it's all virtual visits. Um, we can't get out and look at players. Uh, so everything's kind of on hold right now. It's a, it's a very bizarre, um, bizarre time in, I think, all recruiting. It's an old dog trying to learn new tricks, I think. Uh, do you have like a mother who's got her computer at, this, at the field watching her son uh, train and putting the Zoom on him, like watch my son juggle? How do you figure out how to, who's a player? They can't play against each other, you know? And I mean, I always tell them, let me ask you this. Is it kind of little related? But when you watch those videos of high school players and, you know, club players, you know that it's spliced and cut and diced. How do you say like, well, that kid pulled off that move once out of 3000 attempts and his mother captured it and sent it to me uh, along with five other clips. So he's got five highlights over the course of a four year high school soccer career <laughs> and he wants to go to Clemson. Yeah. You know, a lot of it's pedigree, a lot of it's word of mouth and mm -hmm. the video somewhat validates things plenty, but our funnel is pretty narrow. Mm -hmm. So most of what we do is we'll, we'll see the kids live uh, based on our contacts, uh, Phil Jones, our recruiting coordinators, contacts. Um, we'll ask for video. Normally, we'll ask for video after we're already recruiting a kid. And then we're looking more for full match, half a match video. So we, and we'll take the time to watch, you know, extended highlights or extended uh, periods of matches instead of, you know, the mom and pop. Yeah, well, you talked about social distancing, juggling. Right, right. And then, you know, you watch what the player does off the ball. But I, I mean, you mentioned it once before on this show. I thought it was an interesting term. Like a lot of parents and players have Division One goggles where, you know, they're trying to get into a top program like Clemson. And they're, they're perhaps good players, but just not at that caliber. And, and you have to be the bearer of bad news at times. There's yeah, no I mean, that's – You've got to be realistic and, and you want what every player actually wants. And it's a place where they can grow, they can learn, they can grow with the game. And, you know, I've gotten better over the years in delivering that message uh, in, in letting them know that. I think my background as a Division three player helps in that area and making sure that, you know, it wasn't always my decision because it was driven a lot by my parents, but the academic piece was really, really important. And, uh, and, my experience at Middlebury playing as a freshman uh, and playing, you know, meaningful minutes throughout my four-year career, it was just as valuable as anybody who's playing at Clemson doing the same thing against right. Duke or Wake Forest. Um, and, and so it, it's being able to play the game. If you're a player, you want to be able to play the game. You want to, you want to find the right place. And that's why I always emphasize at my camps and stuff is that there's a place for everybody here to play the game at the next level. It's just you have to find the right place. And in order to do that, you got to get the right guidance and the right advice. You know, I was reading uh, the book by Billy Gazonis, you know, the former uh, Hartwick great. And he was a Herman Award winner. And I was thinking about Yanunsky because he was a great player at a lower level, but he was five foot three and like 138 pounds or something. And he went to Hartwick and um, he played for Jimmy Lennox. But at first, he wasn't even going to be put on the field. And I think I always noticed. Division one college soccer. And I think the ACC is a little different, but it was so physical that that could almost eliminate you immediately. Um, is it still that way? I mean, ACC plays at a pretty high skill level, so uh, that, that can make up for size and speed. No, I think that, again, the beauty of the game is that it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's all sizes-fit-all. And I think that even at, at Division one level, not just in the ACC, but other places, it, it really comes down to your athleticism. Right. And, you know, when it comes to explosiveness, what you're capable of doing, how fast you're capable of doing things, how fast your decision making is. Right. And that doesn't depend on what your size is. Um, you know, your technical speed and your tactical speed have got to be at a higher level to play at Division One and at the highest levels of Division One, which the ACC is. It, it's uh, it doesn't help that you, you're six foot one or six foot two and you can you know run faster and jump higher for it. For sure. <laughs> not one of us on this not, call are that tall. <laughs> we're, we're okay. I got a few guys on my team like that. I know. We love those big guys. So, uh, Grail, 
Yeah. Hey, Nunes. Uh, thanks for giving a shout out to D3 Soccer because I have to listen to that every time I'm on with Fennec. <laughs> and, also, and, and also to players that might not be as tall as other players because I have a couple of friends who are short and I feel sorry for them. Yeah, so uh, anyway, just you, you look up to them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so back in the day, we were all recruits. And, um, you know, that process, the, the, the connection that we made with the coach, the one on one connection when we we're going through that process was so critical. And I'm just curious in this current COVID era, how, you know, that that gets kind of lost in the process. And, 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 and are you uh, just wondering, I'm, I'm just wondering how that affects more on the player side, the ability to evaluate who they might be playing for. Well, that's for sure. And that's why the visit's so important, getting people on campus, which we can't do presently. Yeah. Um, the investment of time is the most important thing that a coach can do in, in terms of, you know, and when we were growing up, Grell, we didn't have video and Zoom and those types right. of things. So you can't get that. And one of the things that's been lacking, I felt over the course of the last few years with the young people coming through is their ability to communicate and uh COVID has actually helped with that uh all of my assistant coaches and I have been really pleasantly surprised at the engagement level and the communication level of the people we're recruiting because they've been forced to have to do it um mm -hmm. uh, they were capable of doing it but because of technology because of smartphones and the rest of it they haven't had to do it and then they get to the visit and you ask them, well, do you have any questions? And they look at you and, you know, yeah, yeah. mom and dad are firing the questions. Uh, this way, you're one-on-one you're -on -one with the kids. It's rare that the parents are on the Zoom calls. Uh, and, and the kids have to actually, you get to know the kid a little bit better. So there are, there are some advantages to it. I don't, I don't want to highlight it because it, it is a bit of a nightmare. And the, and the ones who really are getting uh, penalized, and I've said this, you know, I feel bad for the seniors who didn't have prom and who didn't have graduation, live graduations and those, but the juniors and the sophomores right now who are going through this period of time where they haven't made their decisions yet and yeah. they haven't been exposed. My daughter's a junior and, you know, I took some time off this spring and part of it was to take her to colleges and universities and do visits and we didn't get to do any of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Sam? Yeah, I'm curious, Coach, what are some of the ideas, if they have been already, that have been kind of thrown out there regarding returning to play this fall and beyond what it, you know, could look like? Yeah, ironically, Sam, I've got a, I've got a call at 11 o'clock today and another one at 1 o'clock on Monday that I think will be pretty telling. Um, here at Clemson, you know, in the, it's changing and it changes daily and the uncertainty is amazing. Um, I think they've got really good protocols in most places in terms of returning to school. I think they've got good protocols in most places in terms of returning to practice with social distancing practice. There, nobody wants to make a decision in terms of returning to compete and returning to play. And that's what we're kind of in that conundrum right now where we, I, the Division I men's coaches uh, I think we've put a proposal and we put a proposal together way back in late March called the COVID-19 flex plan, which is very close to um, what our 21st century model is. Whereas we wouldn't come back until school had already started. So there's no preseason. So there's all that costs and you don't bring kids back early. There's a socialization period where you have to go through in order to, uh, to get yourself fit and we do that for three weeks and we wouldn't start the season until about September 18th. At that point, the, the teams that can play, you play one game a week. So it allows for the testing to go on and you play as many games as you can in the fall, up to eight games before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And many of these universities now are announcing that they're going to go online after Thanksgiving to finish the semester. Right. They don't want kids to go home and come back. So that addresses that issue. The NCAA would have to move the championship to the spring uh, in, into June. And then in the springtime, hopefully after we have a vaccine, you come back and you play another eight-game season, one game a week, so it's a 16-game season, and then you have your conference playoffs in the NCAA tournament um, in the springtime. I think it's the safest, most flexible plan that's out there right now for Olympic sports. I think it would work for field hockey. I think it would work for volleyball. I think it would work for women's soccer. Um, it got, uh, it didn't have a lot of traction until this new spike 
uh, happened. Uh, yeah. Everybody thought we were going to, you know, start on time. We're going to have a regular season. The NCA is desperate and conflicted because when they they announced the the championships uh, in the spring weren't going to happen, and didn't consult the schools when they gave the waiver, and the school has cost the school millions of dollars in scholarships uh, for the spring sports. They desperately don't want to do that for the fall sports, so they want the season in and the eligibility factor. The schools are desperate, you know, in a lot of ways, and particularly down here because of the financial drive of college football. And I don't think, you know, any of us are um, any of us are ignorant to that fact that that drives the economic engine for most athletic okay. programs. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty on the return to play and what that's going to look like. And, and nobody's really, uh, although they've studied it, they're looking at it, nobody's really made a decision or given us any information as to what it's going to look like. This is an interesting dovetail into your split season proposal that you guys have been working on for a long time, which I know got derailed because of COVID-19. Maybe this could be a little bit of a test balloon. Well, that's what, you know, that wasn't the purpose of the COVID flex schedule. The, the purpose mm -hmm. was to make it safe for student athletes and coaches and referees and fans to be able to enjoy what they always enjoy, which is sure. sports. Um, but it, it does model it in some degree, and it could be a really good opportunity for people to look at budgeting and costs and those types of things which and, and facilities, which have been some of the critical issues that schools who haven't supported the, pro, uh, the 21st century model uh, have had issue with. But uh, I think, oh. you know, we had... I feel I feel strongly, Flinny, that if it, uh, the the vote was supposed to be, I think April 18th, and yeah. I, we had the votes to get the 21st century model pushed through. So wow. we're hoping that in the future that's going to happen. Good stuff. Yeah, Coach, I'm wondering also. This is a this is a more general question regarding the split season. Um, and you were also mentioning how there is you know a place to play for most players at the next level, but. You know, with over 200 D1 men's soccer teams, uh, is that a hindrance in some way? Is that too many? I mean, if, like, you know, maybe the top-tier teams split off, would that make things easier logistically? You know, I don't think so. I think everybody can actually do it. And we've, we've talked to schools. You know, when I was at the University of New Hampshire, we were underfunded severely at a, a D1 program. Um, and you can make the 21st century model work and it's a developmental model that's in the best interest of the student athlete. It doesn't make a difference how well funded the programs are. So I think that, you know, the more the merrier, uh, we don't want to see any programs, uh, you know, shuttered or, or any programs excluded. Um, there will be, you know, the Ivy league has got their own set of rules where they'll have to make some decisions. If we do go to a uh, 21st century model, um, but I expect the Ivy League to come along uh, with the rest of Division One soccer. They want to support Division One sports. You know, you talk a lot about costs effective. I mean, soccer is a very cost effective sport in a in a D one program or any program really. Uh, and I think with Clemson, it's a special sort of situation. You have a football team that does so well. Uh, it's like Notre Dame and Florida State, and you know they they make the student population much happier because everybody. It, you know, is in a bonus situation because of a, a big football team like that. But it seems like in some of these uh, northeast uh, sort of uh, states, it's not as big, and uh, they're they're sort of they take up ninety percent of the of the budget without bringing much in. So I think this could be an opportunity for soccer to be, you know, pushed ahead to say, hey, it's very cost effective to to put a lot of athletes out there, and um, you know. Uh, I don't know. So it's like sort of a broken record with that one. So hopefully soccer always gets the short end of the stick. So hopefully coach, these are some of the plans that are, um, you know, maybe we can capitalize on this COVID situation. Grail, you had a question for coach Noons. Yeah, Noons. In addition to COVID, obviously we've had all the um, social justice protests going on. I was just curious in terms of your players, you know, how open that dialogue has been between your coaches and, and the players just about that to, kind of bring a comfort level to having the conversation and just how that's manifested itself. Yeah, Grail, it's, it's wide open. And yeah. we have, we have one of the most diverse teams you can imagine when it comes to race, color, creed. It, mm -hmm. It's, and that's part of it. That's by design. Uh, yeah. And that's part of something that we, uh, we embrace. Uh, the world game embraces that. Um, and on our team, we immediately, 
spoke about it. Uh, I had the players speak about it, uh, how they felt. I learned a great deal. My staff learned a great deal, things that we didn't know. We had a Zoom call with Famuel Kavita and Amadou Dia, who uh, are both, you know, Amadou plays for Kansas City now, and Famuel is in St. Louis, and, uh, you know, both uh, well, African-Americans, uh, Famuel from the Congo originally, and, and T from Senegal via France, but grew up in Colorado. Um, and listening to them and their stories and their approach and, and uh, why black lives do matter and, and how much difference there is and, and is going to be and how we can all play a part in that. It's been a big part of, of who we are and what we're about and has been before the George Floyd death. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's been who our team is. And, and we're proud of it. And we're proud that our, uh, you know, Justin Malou, who's a rising senior in our team, he, he came straight out and said, since he's been at Clemson, he has felt more comfortable as a black male on campus than any place he's been in his life. And that, that was just really cool for him to hear that. And that comfort level is what we're looking for, right? Psychological yeah. safety for your players is so important because if you have psychological safety, then the kids are allowed to make mistakes and they're allowed to take risks. And everybody needs to feel that way. And that's what we try to promote in our team. I've always, you know, what's one of the, the great things about this game that has been in my life is sort of, you know, the diversity that is that is on a soccer field. Uh, not just, you know, everybody's Americans, but they're from all, everywhere, you know, Haitians and Caribbeans and, and Hondurans and Mexicans. You're, you're playing with all of them and you learn so much about their cultures and that we're all Americans. And I think, um, you know, that, that's great to see, Nunes, because, you know, with sports, people play better when they're feeling comfortable as well in their environment. You know, they, they feel that they're, they're accepted and everything. It's, it's a good no movement. We're, it's, all, it's all good. I think, you know, such a uh, trying time in our country, but maybe some good can come from this. Yeah, on a somewhat related matter, Nunes, I'm just curious what your personal opinion is of the national anthem and, and college sports and where that belongs and how that fits in or doesn't. Nunes, Grail always goes political. It's uh, no, every, it's, every it's, No, I'm just saying... A society, to me, it's a societal question. It's been made political, but I, I agree with you, Grail, and I think that that's that's the issue for me. And I and I'm not going to politicize it in any way, shape, or form. Um, it's a choice. Um, we, like I said, we've got a lot of internationals on our team, who the American national anthem uh, is not re- relevant other than the, in our country, and so they respect it. Um, mm-hmm. How they respect it, how they respect the movements. That's going to be their individual choice. It's not going to be directed by a coach. Um, and, and that's, you know, I'm going to direct their soccer ability and, the, and their soccer uh, knowledge and soccer IQ, but I'm not going to direct how, their choice of how they respect, um, you know, the opportunity to play in this country and, and how they demonstrate that. That's not up to me. You know, it's interesting. I was at an NYCFC game last year, and I, I don't think you should play the National Anthem before sporting events. And it's, in my personal opinion, it has nothing to do with anything. And like you said, you have players are from all over these different countries. It's sort of, um, you know, we're a melting pot here. And I don't know, it just seems uh, superfluous. So anyway, but I, I think when they did play the National Anthem, I had a problem with the people in the booth next to me not standing up and talking during it. And then about players who uh, people who were wearing their hats when they asked you to remove them. So I'm saying like, I don't want you to play it, but if you do play it, I got to stand up. I got to put my hand over my heart and, and uh, because my anthem is playing. So it's a, uh, it's a weird one and it's been made political and, and you're down South too, noon. So there's demographically, there's different uh, vibes, different feelings uh, going on. So what else guys you got anything else for coach noon before we let him go on his, uh, are, you, are you taking a vacation coach or what are you doing right now? Do you ever take a vacation? <laughs> No, Flinny, I'm coming off a sabbatical. I, I, I took from uh, the third week in February, the second week in February until Monday, uh, I was on sabbatical. Uh, and when COVID hit, I called my boss and I said, can I have a do-over? Yeah. And he said, no. He said, no, we're all going to join you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, and you kind of did. But I mean, I think you talked about that last time you were on the show where you were going to take your daughter all around. You were going to go to like Arsenal. You were going to do all kinds of like, you know, soccer-related things and, and family-related things, and uh, it just wasn't able to happen. But one of the things that everyone's talking about during this COVID epidemic is that the, everybody's sitting down to dinner every night with their families, you know? It's like every parent has become a short-order cook. 
Yeah, well, I'm a long owner, and uh, and and I got my kids as my sous chefs and everything else. And we last night, you know, we were out on the patio until about nine thirty, quarter of ten, and it was a blast. You know, Megan asking us all, "What's your favorite breakfast food? What's your favorite dessert?" Well, you know, I mean, it's just great conversations. And I turned to my wife Deb and I said, "We're not getting this back, so yeah. let's enjoy it while we have it." I've heard a lot of parents say that, and also it goes back to your note about these kids with their interpersonal skills uh, or lack thereof. Um, maybe this is a period where we can sort of come back to square one with, with that sort of thing. It's like, Oh, that's my dad over there. Yeah. I'll look up from my iPad. Grail. It's been so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I, I know you're very competitive noons obviously, and that's why you're successful, but has it changed your perspective as, as you go into this new season, whatever shape it takes, are you more kind of like a little bit hands off the steering wheel? Like it's going to go the way it's meant to, or you're still like, damn it. I need to control this. And uh, it's, it's, it's got to be the way I've done this before. I'm just curious where, what your mindset is. Yeah, thanks for that, Grail, because it's, it's a great question. And, and I think that, you know, I think about it quite a bit. And, and my hands have been off the steering wheel for a little while. Um, and it, I've become a better coach as a result of it. Uh, are, they, are they, you know releasing it a little bit even further the competition is what's important and that's mm -hmm. what i value you know yes i'm a com competitive person but competition competing in the right way and i think if you watch you know you watch the premier league games now and you're not and, and of course the fans do this because they put the emotion into the game a lot but you're not seeing you know the blatant yellow and red cards you're not seeing as many you're seeing good camaraderie uh, of competition amongst the participants. And I think that I'm looking forward to that. That's going to make the game better. Um, and I'm looking forward to promoting that. And yeah, damn right. I want to win. I, I mean, I didn't come to Clemson to lose. And if I right. do, then, then we're going to, uh, we're, we're not going to be the coach very long. I mean, that's just that's the nature of the game. That's interesting. Cause you're, you're such a hands-on detail oriented sort of coach and you have been at it for a long time. This sabbatical, uh, did you hand the reins off to uh, your assistant coaches? Were you able to just take a breather and just let your brain breathe a little bit? Yeah, funny. That's what a lot of people didn't think I'd be able to do. And Phil Jones, he's our associate head coach. He's our recruiting coordinator. He was with me at Brown. He's been with me at Clemson for all 10 years. Phil, Phil can certainly handle himself as a head coach and did a wonderful job in his own way. Uh, they were 3-0 and in the spring, so maybe they don't want me back. Um, <laughs> but – you know, Rob Thompson uh, is our director of operations, and he uh, moved into a coaching role. Rob was the head coach at University of New Hampshire after I left, and he was there for 25 years. And Camilo Rodriguez was a head coach and national champion at the junior college level, and he's our goalkeeper coach. So those guys were very competent, and uh, I literally I took my hands off. I did not go into the – I didn't go to practices. I didn't do any. I let them do it. And yeah, they're still doing it until Monday. You know, it's interesting, though, Coach, because you have put a lot of players into the pro ranks, I mean, players, but you've also developed a lot of coaches who've gone on to coach other programs. Uh, one of the Murphy brothers, you got a whole bunch of guys, uh, coaches at BC. And how many, how many guys have you put in the, in the college ranks as coaches? Oh, I don't know. A number of them. And a couple of them, uh, unfortunately, have been faced with some difficult uh, times because of COVID. Brian yeah. Young former player of mine at, at uh, UNH, he's, uh, he's down in Texas, in Austin, Texas, and his program was dropped to St. Edwards, uh, Division II program. Uh, and that was, that's been difficult for Brian. And I talked to Scott Wyshynski, who was my assistant at Brown. He's the head coach at Bowdoin. Obviously, they were the first, mm -hmm. you know, major D3 school who decided not to play in the fall. And uh, I've had discussions with those guys, and, and I, I still try to mentor them as best I can when they want it. And, uh and stay in touch with, with the, the players in the MLS. Uh, you know, yesterday I talked to Nolan Lennon. He just got a job as a pharmaceutical and medical salesperson, a, a great leader in our team. It's, it's whatever the guys wind up doing, whether they're players or the coaches, we have, we have a role as mentors for, for people to, to continue to promote better lives for other people. 
Yeah, I've always said the best coaches are teachers. They're, they're, they teach our young people. They teach us, uh, motivate us, and, and you see how they go on as they progress as adults. Um, well, Coach, we appreciate you joining us at the end of your sabbatical, uh, right there, there in the corona corona period. What a what good timing, dude. Murphy's Law, right there. Let me take my big my big uh, sabbatical, and then this this once in a lifetime thing hits us all. But it uh, seems like you get through it quite uh, quite well. Um, best of luck in whatever comes in the coming season. We're not quite sure. I, I was laughing with the guys before because I have a friend who's a comedian. He calls me every week and says, hey, do you think I should fly July, my family back to the East Coast? I'm like, how do I know? What do you <laughs> Anthony Fauci doesn't know. It's like, all right, if Fauci doesn't know, let me, my second one's going to be Kevin Flynn. The guy. Let, me, let me see what he thinks. But coach, we appreciate you joining us on, on Over the Ball. And we look forward to talking to you again. Always great to see you guys. And thanks for having me. Uh, stay safe, fellas. All right, always good to get caught up with uh, Coach Noonan. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for their pro membership. Over the Ball is also brought to you by Ticket IQ, the cheapest and easiest way to buy tickets anywhere. You know, and I mentioned this in the beginning of the show, but, you know, go on, um, on Facebook, like us, follow us. Also, uh, give us a like on uh, iTunes, uh, on Apple. No, iTunes doesn't exist anymore, right? Is that what the, the deal is? It's now just uh, Apple. Go to Apple, the podcast, and give us a like. Give us a like there. So, guys, uh, interesting talking to Coach Noonan. They're going through some real transitions, everybody really. Um, but one of the things he talked about was basically the diversity on his team, which generally soccer teams, you know, were very diverse. Um, and it reminded me of this interesting article by Rory Smith in the New York Times. I know we all read it. What are your uh, What are your thoughts on it, Grail? Yeah. So he so he recapped a study that was done um, uh, of European commentators in eighty games across Serie A, La Liga, EPL, and and the findings weren't that surprising. They just kind of had confirmed the bias we know exists. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, essentially, you know, white players are more likely to be praised for their intelligence, leadership, versatility, and work ethic. Um, whereas non-white players tend to be praised for their strength, speed, and athleticism. Now, so, now you know who mentioned that? Desmond Armstrong mentioned uh, that to us. Yeah. Uh, where he said when he was playing, I think in Cleveland, yeah. uh, for, the, for the force, he said that you know, John Stolmeyer was a, an All-American in Indiana and, and Desmond, an All-American at Maryland. They both showed up and that's how the papers covered them, you know, because the way Desmond would glide, they said, oh, he's not hustling. And, but just Stolmeyer is getting stuck in and, and trying. And he said it was he felt it was racist, you know. Yeah, it's the old, you know, brains versus brawn trope that's existed forever. And it just mm -hmm. confirmed. I mean, I think the disturbing thing is that here we are in 2020 and commentators are still describing players that way. They haven't really evolved with the times. And the knee jerk is if a guy doesn't chase back, you know, and he tends to be a non-white player, he's lazy. Right. I mean, it's just they, they well, go. Well, the English, the, the EPL, they get over anybody who's not uh, hustling back. You know, they, they can't appreciate an Ozil or something. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it's, it's existed in every other, it's like in the United States, remember, you know, uh, black players weren't smart enough to be quarterbacks. Remember that old, that old. Well, here, I, I think we've gotten years. past that part. Yes. What I think is interesting now is you're getting more to the, the sort of the subtleties, which in these people, these announcers don't mean to be racist, but there's right. these built-in racisms that we have, these uh, that are sort of triggers that you just sort of say, like you say, tropes, yeah. where yeah. I think they have to be very mindful of it and uh, be aware of it. You know, I asked you guys a long time ago, I forget it when we were at ESPN or Sirius, but I, I thought black players were penalized more than white players for the same infraction. Mm -hmm. I started noticing something in the EPL, you know, just sort of how... Um, how Sterling was treated. A couple of players, I was like, wow, that, that, that really, they, they call foul. So I don't know. And I think we talked Grail about maybe some doing a study on that, you know, the, you know, who's called. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it would also be, I mean, it would also be helpful if there were more, you know, people of color in the booth, <laughs> I mean, right. obviously, because they would be seeing things through their own 
lens and I think it would you know level the playing field a little bit more because you got a lot a lot of white guys commenting on a game and you know the EPL is just more and more diverse just like Nunes was saying about Clemson the EPL <laughs> you know the EPL when I, when I Flinny when I lived there when I lived there in England in the early 70s there were about four players in the professional English soccer leagues across all the leagues period that were so, of color yeah, of color, you know, um, guys yeah. that usually came from the Caribbean or whatever. And uh, it's just, it just totally changed, which has made the game infinitely better. But I just, you know, the commentators clearly have to get up to speed. You know, the problem I have in the commentators in the United States is now you have the United States commentators. Not a single one is actually an American. So the diversity is like a reverse diversity of, of Scottish, English, you know, Venezuelan you got even in there, you know. Um, so I just think it's interesting. But, you yeah. know, um, uh, this is something to watch. The, again, uh, bring us back to, you know, the opening of the show where we're talking about the, the NWSL announcers. Uh, we have to develop the voices here in America. And I don't think we trust our own voice yet. And we haven't found the proper voices uh, so mm. far. We talked last week about how they're just going from the pool of ex-players, ex-national team players. Yeah. And so that's so limited. Or, or commentators that do like eight sports, one of which is soccer. So yeah. they try to take what they know from another sport and apply it. They're using the wrong terminology. Let's just groom soccer specific commentators. Sam, uh, Sam thoughts. Yeah. What I think is really important about this study is that it's something that everybody can now keep an eye on, you know, because with, mm -hmm. like, when we talked to Desmond, um, you know, and Raheem Sterling has been very outspoken about, you know, black players not getting a shot in coaching roles or administrative right. roles. And that's something that's, you know, for the average fan, pretty hard to kind of keep track of. But, um, you know, this is something that anybody watching a game can now be aware of. Um, and I think, you know, holding people accountable to that, um, you know, it hopefully is an area that we can start to see some change. So there's Rory Smith. He also wrote an article on uh, the Bundesliga. Is that the, the, I didn't read the article, but I think you did, Sam. About yeah. The, so uh, this is going back to actually bringing full circle because Grail was complaining about this at the start of the show, but um, <laughs> a lot of data uh, complaining from the Bundesliga. Uh, they've compiled basically this analysis firm called Grace Note has uh, taken a look at all the games going on in the Bundesliga and tried to answer, you know, some of the questions like does home field advantage matter, how much, et cetera. Um, and they've uh, released their findings. So um, I'll just share a few of them. But um, according to this, uh, it's pretty in, it's pretty in depth. I mean, it's pretty it was a, you know, quite the study, I thought. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty it was very in depth. Um, so first of all, home field advantage seems to have basically disappeared um, mm. without fans in the stadium. Um, home teams have scored fewer goals than they had in full stadiums uh, down to one point four three from one point seven four which means there's been a decline in goal scoring overall. Um, home teams have also taken fewer shots, a decrease of 10%. Um, the shots they did take were actually worse. They measure, you know, the, the quality of the attempts. Um, so by basically every attacking metric, uh, the Bundesliga teams have been worse um, in these empty stadiums. You know, it's um, interesting because you, as a player and as a team, you try to take out the home field advantage by taking the crowd out of it, hitting a great mm -hmm. shot, good tackle, something. And here, uh, it really is showing you in, in sheer numbers there. Yeah. Um, that interestingly, goalkeepers have performed better away from home than they do uh, at home. Uh, the percentage mm. of shots saved dropped noticeably for goalkeepers on familiar territory, but increased for those on visiting teams. So that's a strange wow. one. Yeah. Um, on officiating, uh, so they, yeah, they analyzed 83 matches. So home teams were actually penalized more for fouls in empty stadiums. Um, this also wow. saw, you know, not surprisingly, an increase in yellow cards that they were given. Um, both teams committed more fouls overall in the empty stadiums, and people are suggesting that, you know, the refs without a crowd to consider, you know, sort of felt like they can really enforce the rules more rigidly uh, and also not be impacted by the home crowd, you know, getting on them. Wow. Um, Ref referees won't like that. They're, yeah, probably not. Um, and then this, you know, this is a tough one to quantify, but on the gameplay itself and the intensity, um, this is data from the Bundesliga itself. Um, the games have essentially been the same. Um, players have, in fact, sprinted more um, and teams have made more high intensity runs, which I guess are things they keep track of in the Bundesliga. Um, mm -hmm. What's been down, however, are the shots, as I mentioned, but also dribbles. Um, games have seen on average 16 more passes than normal. So the takeaway there is that, you know, without a crowd to sort of entertain 
you know, players are ole, not, ole, yeah, ole. They're not yeah. trying to be as, you know, maybe flashy and, you know, more right. into just passing more direct. So, yeah. So the kind of overall takeaway is the absence of fans has created this more kind of cautious, you know, professional mechanical uh, is the word Rory Smith uses approach, focusing more, you know, on the end result than the process itself, which to me is interesting because, you know, the fans that actually care most about, you know, all the dribbling and stuff are the people watching in China, um, you know, who have no reason to like a team. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Maybe they, they bet on how many dribbles a player dribbles because uh, well, people can well, bet well, on what everything. what I mean is, you know, turning on the style, as people say, is yeah. more about drawing in, you know, fans from around the world than it is about, you know, right. entertaining the fans that live. So, so that was like the NBA. It was like did, did you say more fouls or fewer fouls? More fouls. So more, what, more That's fouls surprising. without fans, which is surprising because to me as a player who would kind of sometimes play it on a knife's edge, fans would – in my mind would tend to make you foul more like you would right. like you would react to the fan you would react to the elements around you and you would be more prone to act aggressively mm -hmm. if you had that stimulus yeah I mean, that's, that's a good point yeah uh, i mean the, the takeaway the takeaway from the article was that you know the refs don't have to worry about fans getting on them as much so they're yeah. you know they're a little more to the to the book let's say mm-hmm all right. Well, good stuff, guys. Yeah. So what, what else we had? Anything else for yeah, me? Yeah, so, so just a couple news and notes here. Leroy Sané leaving Man City to sign a five-year deal uh, with Bayern Munich. So Bayern, Love that kid. Love that kid so, as a player. So the rich get richer, the better get better. Bayern, which didn't really need another top-flight young 23-year-old stud, is getting them. And then, and then storm clouds looming over Barca because uh, Messi has suspended – his contract extension negotiations and there's uh some you know there's some concern that he's willing to look for other pastures so that could be right. have a huge impact he's he's really been unhappy with the front office there and obviously they're not playing well either but i think the front office he felt that they blamed him for a lot of the troubles that were going on um and uh so he's just despondent at the moment that, so that that, Bar barcelona is one messy contract away from being an average team um, yeah what, what i think is that you know you always look at the assists with messi you know he yeah. has the goals and the assists 700 goals uh, that he hit this past week um but in, in sort of related news it's been interesting to watch the inability of some players to sort of stick it out there neymar wasn't happy there and now uh, griezmann is having a tough time uh, getting any minutes even yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. You know, the only there are only maybe three clubs in the world I could see him going to, and the one that to me would be the best fit would be Man City, just because it's Pep, just because of the style of play that they they play, it would fit much more with what he does, and that would be very intriguing to have Messi well, I, in the EPL. You'd love to see him in the EPL. I don't know <laughs> oh if Sam God. would like that so much, but <laughs> he wouldn't. But this goes back to your note: the rich get richer, because that would be yeah. just you know. Uh, just multiplier effect of 10 for a great team already who yeah. just, who just tooled on Liverpool um, as sort of an unmotivated Liverpool of uh, exactly. a win yesterday. Um, Sam, you have any questions for us? Yeah, I got a little quick quiz for you guys. Uh, I guess we can, this transfers in nicely from talking about, you know, players moving around. Um, according to transfermarket.us, which uh, keeps track of things like, you know, clubs values and stuff uh, and players values. Um, I have the list here of the top five most valuable American players. Perhaps unsurprisingly at the top of the list is Christian Pulisic, Pulisic. at 59.4 million. Mm. Uh, I'm wondering if you guys can tell me who number two is on the list. Weston McKinney. Grail. Josh Sargent. Uh, now, is this, is this what they're actually worth or what they're projected to be worth? Tyler Adams, what they're actually worth. I mean, their, I don't, their, I don't their, know their, their value, their current market value. I don't know exactly how. Try to stay up with the rest of the class, girl, please. Well, I'm going to go with Reyna just because he's young and he's. I think he's got a lot of upside. Okay, Kevin, good work. Weston McKinney at number two. Good job. Hey, sit down, Grail. Have a seat, pal. Uh, Reyna is number four on the list. At, All right, uh, just about fifteen million. Um, okay. Sergino Dest at number three. Around. Oh, Sergino Dest, right? Yeah. Um, 
John Brooks at 13.2 million at number five, and then Tyler Adams at number six at 12. God, I forgot John Brooks was still alive. To be honest with you. No, so, no, he's he's an inch part of what I think uh, the okay. system that, uh, oh, okay. that we're trying to put together <laughs> the national team. So shifting to Concacaf, I'm wondering who you if you guys can tell me who the most valuable North American player is. Carlos. Oh, it's the, it, yeah, no, no. I, I'm going to say it's the guy. It's um. Oh God! I just blanked on his name. The guy from uh, Bayern Munich, the Canadian from Bayern Munich. And, oh yeah, yeah, blanking yeah. on his name. Alfonso what? Davies. Davies. Yes. Alfonso Davies. Okay. Well, this one is actually a bit of a trick question because Pulisic is the um, most valuable. But Davies gonna, is going to eclipse player. him eventually at fifty-nine point four. Which I mentioned, Davies is number two at forty-nine point okay. five. Um, and that's going up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to round out that top five, Raul Jimenez, Mexico and Wolves player at forty-four yeah. million. Leon Bailey, the Jamaican player and Bayer Leverkusen player at thirty-two point four five, and then Irving Lozano for Mexico and Napoli at thirty point eight. Uh, Bailey, Bailey, that would have been the that, no one would have gotten that on this panel. I think that yeah, would that's be a tough one. one. Uh, final question: Who is the most valuable MLS player? Uh, Vela. I'm going to go with Vela. Okay, it's actually Josef Martinez. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, is, yeah. Well, is he, who plays for Wolves? No, no Josef no, Martinez. Oh, okay, Atlanta. Okay, I'm thinking of Jimenez. I'm sorry. I just mixed yeah. him up with Jimenez. For some Your reason. poor Spanish is coming through. Uh, 15.4 million is his okay. market value. Yeah, he could play uh, coming off an injury, an ACL injury, but um, yeah. he's got game, that guy. Yeah, uh, that's all I got. That's all you got. What games are we watching this week? I know you're going to watch Chelsea uh, play. uh. Uh, You know, I can't. I got to be honest with you guys. It's hard for me to keep track of the games. There are so many games games happening so often that I've, like, I, I, I have to find out within like a window when somebody's playing. Like, I know Chelsea's playing Watford over the weekend, so I'll probably watch that. That would be. I just get. I just record them all in my VCR. uh, VCR. Uh, my eight-track digital reel-to-reel. <laughs> no, I, I just record them all, and I like you know I get home at night sometimes. I'm like, oh man, man, you played today. Oh, yeah, didn't even know it. So, uh, Sam, yeah. what are you going to be watching? I'll Syria? watch uh, Napoli Roma on Sunday afternoon. I think that'll be a pretty good. There's game. There's a lot riding on that game, right? Well, they they're both kind of falling out of the Champions League race. Oh, they're, now, they're out. Now they you know need to stay in the Europa League race. So um, yeah, yeah, the loser of that game will you know be in some. All right. Some hot water, if there is a loop. Good stuff. Well, the soccer's back. A uh, lot to watch, a lot to talk about, and we talk about it here on OTB. So I'd like to thank our guest today, uh, Mike Noonan, the head coach at Clemson University. It's just a stellar program um, that he's uh, running over there. And a lot of hard work for a lot of years he's been, uh, been up to it. So we appreciate uh, him taking the time to uh, come on and talk to us on Over the Ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. And by Ticket IQ. And hey, I've already asked you once, but get, remember to like us on Facebook and Twitter and uh, every other way you can. All right? For Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB.